Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I haven't seen a GW or a GX or a GY or a GZ. I know I have not seen a GX, a GY, and a GZ. And the other day, I saw not one, but two plates J.A. And not J.A. Adonda. No time for you today, J.A. No. I saw J.A., which means there's no H. Well, what happened to H? This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So we think we have an answer for this. We got the answer yesterday, and I waited until today to talk about it. I got emails from Chuck Todd and Bill Isaacson about it. Nigel did research about it. We have come to the conclusion that H is for cabs. It's a hack license. Right. Cabs are referred to as hacks, I guess, or hackers or something like that. I think that started in New York City. I believe it did. My guess is New York City had the first set of cabs. Uh, (laughs) That's my guess. Right. But so those are hack licenses. Now, they are not. They're not double letters. It's just H and then numbers. Yeah. You know, and they can have an infinite number of numbers. It doesn't matter. But they don't go H, A, H, B. It's not following the regular pattern. So we believe that's true. I also believe that I's have been cut out because I, again, could be a one. Right. If you don't really know how the District of Columbia works and you're reporting, you know, a license plate from a criminal proceeding, You wouldn't do IG, you would do 1G or something like that. It is my belief, and I don't know if this is true, it is my belief that a variety of first letters have come and gone without H's. I don't believe there has, uh, without I's rather, I don't believe there was an EI, I don't believe there was an FI. There is a GI. I have seen GIs, and and the reason that stands out to me is because I don't think I've seen them in previous letters for a while. Right. You know, there may have been an AI and a BI, but I think it sort of stopped after that, as people would then say, when reporting criminal activity, they'd go B1. Right, and they might like not know. Like a vitamin. Right, they might not know who it is you know, right. at that point. So, but there is a GI. But again, let me stress this. I haven't seen, I think I've seen a GW. I think. I'm no, I know I've seen GV, because I go, Georgetown Visitation. You know, and I think of Jeannie McManus, um, Georgetown Visitation, GV. GW, I would think of George Washington University. Right. I have not seen a GX, a GY, or a GZ. If anybody has, tell me when and where and, and you know, give, give me a sense of that. So I think we just went to the J's. I think we blew by the H's and the I's and we just went to the J's. Yeah, it feels like. It's causing me consternation. <laughs> it, 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 me. it is. Just it me. Is. Yes, and I think we've talked about this before, the way you look at license plates. I mean, that's the, the road you go down. I just look, where are they from? Are they, are they from D.C.? Are they from Virginia? Like, that's my, what I notice, because generally I feel that they're, they're driving very poorly, so I want to know which region to blame. I know that in Delaware, the worst drivers, the worst drivers are, have the Pennsylvania plates. Oh, really? Yes, they're the worst by far. They don't care. They just, they just don't care. <laughs> optional rules. And the Pennsylvania people, if you don't want to be around... Cars with pencil, and there's a lot of. I mean, look, people come to Delaware from Pennsylvania, from Maryland, from DC, from Virginia, right? Um, so there are a lot of Pennsylvania plates, and they are the by far the worst drivers. There's not, there's just no question about that. But I will, does this mean that there won't be a GX, a GY, or a GZ? Is, is that what that means? I, w- I mean, we could actually call the Department of Motor Vehicles, <laughs> but that's too easy. It's just much more fun to speculate as to what might happen, yes. right? We don't, we don't really know. 
Also, let me say that this is, and I know everybody knows this is the worst day of the year because this is the longest day of the year. And from now on, starting tomorrow, the light gets shorter Mm. until it reaches, it's not December 21st. We've gone through this a million times, but it's around then in the middle of December to the beginning of January in the, in that period of time, there is the least amount of light, and it's depressing. It is. Um, it is. It's totally depressing. So this is the worst day. The best day is, is the beginning of winter because it, it's going to get better. It doesn't feel that way then. <laughs> it doesn't. It takes a while for that to get there. As yeah. you know, I go through old emails when I have nothing to do, which is every day of my life. <laughs> I have nothing to do. And I go through some old emails. I wanted to read them. This is from Dina in Damascus. It's not that old, but he said, I sent, she said, I sent my daughter's wedding invitation to you because, well, people always send you wedding invitations. And my daughter, the pharmacist, pointed out I hadn't actually asked her if I could invite you. So you were invited. Carol was invited because, well, I actually know her from trivia when it was a chatter. God, I miss chatter. But I know that neither of you are expected to come. And this was not a plea for the toaster. 21 outlets in my kitchen due to Jen Babish's amazing kitchen design work. thought I would read that. This corrects something. Do you remember when we said that Bruce Hornsby was discovered at a steak and ale in Williamsburg, Virginia? Yes, I recall that, yes. This corrects that. This is from Tom Berninghausen. It appears that a minor correction is in order on the Michael McDonald discovers Bruce Hornsby story. Apparently, the venue in question was not, technically speaking, a steak and ale. Steak and Ale Restaurants of America Incorporated had 60 locations in the late 70s, and at least some of them operated under the name Jolly Ox, O-X, Jolly Ox, due to blue laws still on the books from the Prohibition era that did not allow businesses to use names that referred to alcoholic beverages. That's sort of fascinating. Hornsby credits McDonald with discovering him in 1978 at the Jolly Ox in Hampton, Virginia, about 30 miles southwest of Williamsburg. By the 1980s, those laws began to be repealed, and the Jolly Ox name gave way to Steak and Ale. I gather that the Hampton Steak and Ale later devolved into a Bennigan's. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Love the proofreading song. I apologize for any proofreading failures in this message. Sadly, my proofreader has left the building. I never, I heard of Steak and Ale. There was a Steak and Ale in Tamarack, Florida, when I used to visit my parents there. I never heard of the Jolly Ox. Never heard of that either. Yeah. So, but that the blue but it does, thing is interesting. Yeah, it makes sense that they would say, yeah, you can't have booze in your name, you know, for prohibition. Yes. This comes from October 29th, 2020. 2020. Okay. Dear Mr. Tony, my name is Jim McClellan. The name might ring a bell. I was the person who somehow, via the wonders of the internet, found a relic from your past that seemed to mean the world to you. The 1967 calendar from the Aloha Tower restaurant in your hometown in Lindbrook. It meant a lot to you, which meant a lot to me as a listener and a little. To you, describing this item and your memories from your childhood was a ray of sunshine peeking through cloudy skies. Although it's been almost three years. And since then, it has gone by coastal And maybe living somewhere in Los Angeles with your good friend and fellow Lindbrookian, Charlie Steiner. I seem to recall you saying you were each keeping it for a year. And my hope in the past was to somehow, someday, witness the exchange. Maybe over dinner at the Palm. We could split the pork chop. Recent events such as they are, that dinner or the possibility of the show doing a remote are probably not going to happen. More likely, you will still be in your attic doing PTI for the winter. <laughs> Two winters, actually. Um, since your Nationals won last year and Charlie's Dodgers won this year, there seems to be a bit of serendipity in play. I thought if Charlie could FedEx it back to you, this would be a perfect opportunity to display it at your lovely home 
at your, in your home studio, attic on the wall behind you. I see items moving on and off the wall. Maybe the lower tower calendar might find its way home there. And I thought about doing that, but I also, it's so small. It, it's so much smaller than you think. It's a calendar and a thermometer. The thermometer, of course, doesn't work. <laughs> but it, it, nobody could have seen it. Right. Nobody would have understood it. And it would be a clandestine shout-out to your fellow Limburgites, sort of a secret code, only they would understand, if they could see a lower tower, which they can't. A bit like POW's eyes blinking Morse code to their base, understanding, <laughs> of course, that you are seldom tortured at Uncle Benny's table, unless, of course, Chris Eliza calls it. Thank you for keeping us entertained, you and your tales of woe, disdain for technology, your love of family, classic rock and roll, and sports, especially baseball. Keep the littles waiting for your next podcast to drop with anticipation and a smidge of relief. After all, we're getting older. Warmest regards, Jim McClellan, Aurora, Colorado. P.S. I somehow lost the picture, but the description was still in my eBay. See attachment or on second thought. Have Michael or Nigel find it. I don't want you to be frustrated looking at it. And, and he encloses it. And let me bring this story up to date a little bit. Because I kept the Aloha Tower calendar, I kept it wrapped in tissue paper, and I kept it where I sit at Uncle Benny's table to my left side in a small wire basket. And then Charlie got angry after a while, (laughs) and Charlie sent off a series of vile texts to me, calling me every curse name in the book. And I said to Charlie, you're right. I've had it for two years, two and a half years. It's time for you. You're right. How should we do this? And in fact, and this is so weird, Bonnie was the courier. Bonnie was really? going to Los Angeles. <laughs> and Bonnie came here. If I, I either have this right, she was either going to Los Angeles or to New York, and Charlie was going to go on the road for the Dodgers and the Mets. So Bonnie either met Charlie in New York, or and she'll tell me today because she'll hear this, or she met Charlie in Los Angeles. She went to the broadcast booth because she sent me a picture of that <laughs> in the broadcast booth. So that I don't know where it was. I don't know. But Charlie was happy to get the Aloha Tower calendar from May of 1967 back with a thermometer that doesn't work. (laughs) And Charlie put it in a place of distinction in his own home, he sent me a picture, surrounded by his Emmys. (laughs) So that brings you up to date on that. I will get it back, hopefully be alive, Charlie will be alive in a year or two, and we will continue to do this for the rest of time. Right. We hope, but, you know, you don't know. You don't know. Charlie is in possession of it now, so I thank Mr. McClellan for that. Yes, that, that brought you a great deal of joy. And how great is it that Bonnie was able to hand-deliver it? Hand-deliver it. That's the way you do she it. She came over here. And, Does and get she, lost in the when mail. Bonnie looked at it and she said, this is it? <laughs> I said, yeah. It's, she said, this little, this is it? I go, yeah, this is it. Yeah, it's not very big at all. Uh. From Joey Portno. And I know that we, we're not doing... We're not doing famous people from your hometown anymore, but I like famous we, people. Yeah, we, we have a lot in the backlog. I just, yeah, I don't, yeah. when people say, okay, I'm from New York, and then, okay. Yeah, I'm from Manhattan. There's nobody famous. Okay. <laughs> Joey Portno. I've been waiting years for the perfect moment to send my first email. This is from February of this year, and I think I might have it. And, and some of you need to ask this question. What is he doing going through these emails? What he, he has no life. He goes through these emails. It's true. I, I have no life. To send the first email, and I think I might have it. If we are still doing famous people from our hometowns, I would like to submit a former guest of this very podcast, three-time Pulitzer Prize winner, Thomas Friedman, of course, of the New York Times. He went to St. Louis Park High School, class of 1971, and wrote for the same high school paper I did, The Echo. There are a couple of other people you may know, Joel and Ethan Cohn. 
but they never appeared on this podcast, so we can just move along. I cannot, this is right outside of Minneapolis, by the way. I cannot thank you enough for all the entertainment you've given me over the years. I've been a Laura Little since 2008 when I discovered the podcast. I've been listening through my college years at the University of Maryland, four years living in Israel, and now back stateside in one of Wilbon's many hometowns of Chicago. Thanks again, and I know you appreciate how much we love the show. From Al Ruggles in Lexington, Kentucky. From my hometown of Belmore, New York. Belmore's on Long Island. I know Belmore. Okay. We can't claim John D. Rockefeller, Madonna, or Red Grange, but we have Lenny Bruce and Amy Fisher. Yes, <laughs> that Amy Fisher. That's right. Amy Fisher. Do you I, remember that story? I do. I'd That's forgotten. 40 years ago. I'd forgotten that was a Long Island story, wasn't it? Yeah. Jo- Joey Botafuco? Joey Botafuco. Yes. Yeah. Now, I thought she was from Merrick, not Belmore, but they're close. They're close. And he said, Al Ruggles in Lexington said, I'm going to hang up and read Louise Gluck to cheer myself up. (laughs) Chad Sosolik. I'm currently a professor of physics in Clemson, South Carolina. I have to say, I didn't know they taught physics in Clemson. I thought they just taught football. But they're both with an F, right? (laughs) Physics and football. A town which is home to somewhat famous football team. The town was also later the home of one Pete Maravich, who played at the local high school but was not born here. My own hometown of Vernon, Texas, boasts two notables, Ken, Orb- uh, Ken Starr and Roy Orbison. And now you have an answer to the question, what did a star report and pretty woman have? <laughs> I was going to say that's Roy Orbison and Ken Starr. Yeah. Paul Wade in Columbia, Missouri. Everyone is writing, and this is from February. Everyone's writing of the people from their hometown. Well, all those people are great, but I'm from Chatham, Illinois. Glenwood High School, class of 1997. Whoever was from your hometown couldn't do the hardest thing in the universe for a lifetime average of 267. Didn't call Jonathan Papelbon the D.C. Strangler. <laughs> and they certainly didn't spend time in a D.C. jail for speeding. I think it was a Virginia jail. I think <laughs> it, it was. was That's right. Yes. I graduated from high school with Jason Worth. <laughs> Boom. The connective <laughs> tissue of this show just got that much more connective. Paul Wade, Columbia, and Missouri. It's where Max Scherzer went to college. Jeff Lowe, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Who is from your hometown is so general and passe. I mean, I could list who is from my hometown of New York City, but we'd be reading until the Jets win another Super Bowl. This discussion needs to morph into who is from my neighborhood. Well, I'll start off. The neighborhood is Howard Beach, and I know Howard Beach well. People from Howard Beach went to John Adams High School. Located in the southeast part of the borough of Queens, right near Kennedy Airport. Notables include Vetus Gerulitis, great tennis player, yes. Arlo Guthrie, Joey Ramone, huh? and that great philanthropist, John Gotti. <laughs> I assure you, there were no unclaimed RVs on his street. In addition, Cindy Lauper was a junior high school classmate. Did not know that. I'm just going on. Should I stop? Sean, should I stop? How much? Am I just going on? Uh, Do a couple more. Yeah, yeah. We got time for a couple more. From Trent Zundale in Morgantown, West Virginia, from February 2022. I was catching up on the pod and enjoying some quality Dan Byrne jingles when I heard the one comparing LA and Cincinnati. In this, he attributed Mary Lou Retton to Los Angeles. Now, I'm no genius like Dan Byrne, but I grew up in Fairmont, West Virginia, which is a tiny town as most West Virginia towns are, where Mary Lou Breton was born and grew up. After the Olympics, we had a parade for her. We named things after her. In my youth, we took Mary Lou Retton Drive to get to Mary Lou Retton Park, where I played Little League games that were often umpired by Mary Lou Retton's brothers. <laughs> if someone from Fairmount were to email you and list off famous people from their hometown, Mary Lou Retton is not only on the list, but it's her and some guy named Nick Saban. That is the list. <laughs> 
So while Dan Byrne is a genius, he got that one wrong. We have so little in Fairmont, West Virginia. Don't take that away from us. Come on, man. What are we even doing out here, man? That's great. From Ken Corsack or Ken Korchak. As someone whose dad would take us to the Lindbrook Station of the Long Island Railroad instead of the Valley Stream Station for the sole purpose of getting White Castle, I was hoping to get in a little love for the people from Valley Stream. The likes of Steve Buscemi, comedian Larry Miller. He's pretty funny. He is very funny, And yes. Adam Schefter. Wikipedia also says Rita Moreno lived there. The highlight of a kid in Valley Stream was going to Nunley's for hot dogs in the carousel, which was also called, by my way of talking it, of saying it, Nathan's Roadside Rest. Right. Okay. My parents had season tickets to the Islanders when they won the, their four Stanley Cups. Of course, I was a kid when my parents moved us to Florida, and unlike now, kids didn't get a vote in those things back then. Thankfully, I finally left Florida, moved to Atlanta in time for the Braves and the Bulldogs to win championships. I must have good luck. If any city wants me next year, just offer a good job to my wife. She's the breadwinner. She didn't become a teacher. Unlike you, I work in a basement. And I, you know, nothing wrong with working in a basement and hope one day to get promoted to an attic. Thank you for the amount of content you put out each week. It's nice to have the conversation while talking. So I think, you know, we'll get to some others down the road. We did get a note from Phil. He says he's from Lancaster, New York, home to Phil's mom. Well, that's yes. him, but near that's Buffalo, Phil's home mom. to Phil's mom. Yes. She's it. She's the list. <laughs> that's Lancaster, the list. Lancaster, New York. <laughs> yes. uh, we will come back, allegedly, with Michael Wilbon. <laughs> I, I have no faith in this. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Brandon Costello sent us this. He said, I've just uploaded a set of rehearsal tracks from 2015. I thought I'd send along a pair. I've got a few shows upcoming, including afternoon gigs at the Purple Fiddle in Thomas, West Virginia on July 30th and 31st. People should go to see those. Absolutely. Todd Takai and I are getting together at Rock House Brewery on August 6th for Summer of Littles. That's very nice. This is called Equilibrium. We'll play another song in a little bit, and this plays in Michael Wilbon. And let me start with this. We all know athletes, if you're in the sports writing business, we've all gotten to know certain athletes. We like certain people. We know people who've won championships on teams. We know people like that. But it's very rare that from your school is a guy who won the U.S. Open. This this is just, right, Mike? This is just very, very rare. What are your thoughts on Matthew Fitzpatrick and any recollections you might have of him or his teammates or your involvement with them? Well, Tony, um, I've been rooting for this kid since he showed up at Northwestern and did a one and done. You know, he's like like a lot of great golfers who go to college for a year or maybe two. Some guys yeah, to go four. But, you know, he's he was an incredible talent. He only stayed a while. Um, he didn't stay long enough. People compared him to Luke Donald. Right. Donald, another Brit who came to Northwestern, stayed long enough to win something called the NCAA championship. Individual and team. And so Luke Donald for us is forever 
and we're indebted. Um, this kid, Matthew Fitzpatrick, was he was a people just knew he was a prodigious talent. And our golf program is is really good. It can attract that. Our, our coach Pat Goss, who really oversees men and women, we we got we had two good golf programs. We haven't won a national championship since Donald twenty years ago. But Matthew Fitzpatrick was a guy who was seen as having that kind of talent. And I've been watching him the whole time. And so for these what eight or nine years since he left Northwestern, yeah. Um, he's been close. I watch him every week. And he's been on leaderboards almost every week. And tell me, he's one of those guys that it seems like every Thursday, Friday, he's a powerhouse. And he'll throw a 67 in there, and he is on the board. And he doesn't have, he doesn't have the staying power. He doesn't have, usually it's Saturday, by the way, because he has to hold the Sundays. Sunday rounds, but 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 Saturday, he seems to fade. He finishes. You know, he was already 18 in the world before the United States Open. So it's not like you know he was just some dude. He was already 18 in the world, and um, so as you know, Tom, I was cheering like crazy for him. And going into the week, I actually have talked to people who thought, yeah. Your boy's going to win this week. What? Yeah, this is his week. He's going to win. He won the USAM there. Yeah, he's gonna, nine he's years gonna, he's ago. He's going to win this week. You're like, all right, come on. And, you know, the whole time, it was like he had a shot at this. He had his eye on this. He and Jack Nicholas and um, Julie Inkster. Yeah, Julie Inkster won, they won the AM and the Open at the, at the same course. And on the telecast, they just mentioned Nicholas. That's unfair, and they should have mentioned Inkster as well. They might not have known they should have. Did you, um, did Luke, Luke Donald, you told me the other day, he still lives in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Does Luke, did Luke Donald have any play in recruiting Matthew Fitzpatrick? Is there a pipeline, or is he did. the last guy? Well, I think he did have some play, Tony. The, the, the association was clearly made at the time. And there's no way that Luke, who's very involved with Northwestern, didn't have any play. Um, Luke Donald is, I mean, he's a guy that when you get to the range, he's got a purple bag. Okay. You know, he, he, you know everybody knows where he went to school. Um, and he is a Chicago guy. He turned into that. You know, he's you know close with Michael Jordan, and he's, a, he's invited me to play and uh, events that he's had, and he's, he's a Chicago guy, Northwestern guy, and Matthew Fitzpatrick. I don't, I don't. He stayed a short time. McDonald won a national championship there. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, he never rejects the association. I know that, and so we're all, you know, we're all sitting high, man. We're all sitting high after this kid won this. That's understandable. Show. I will say this: uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick is. He looks like he's seventeen, but he's actually yeah, he twenty-seven. Does. And Scheffler and Zalatoris and Morikawa are 25. So when you think of young players and you automatically think of Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth, no, 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 no. They're already in their 30s. They're in their 30s. These kids, these kids are the ones that could be around for the next 10 to 15 years. I thought it was a great tournament to watch. What did you think? Same thing. Um, again, I've got a bias of having a horse in the race. Um, and we were constantly 
either one of my text chains, uh, probably the one I'm on most often, has people, Tony, all of whom you know, include starting with my brother and Larry Irving and Kevin Blackstone. Yeah, I know them all. And, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly over the weekend uh, updating. I mean, you watching this, can you leave that shot? And, we, we, you know, people were pumped and into it. And, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, so it was just, it was, it was great to watch anyway. It just, it had those things, those elements that you need to have something that's very watchable. You had the famous people, Rory McElroy and John Rahm. You, you, you had those guys in it. And then you had this dash of new people like Zalatoris and Matthew Fitzpatrick. That's right. Who are not unknown anyway. No, they're very good, very fine players. They're, they're they just good. haven't won. Anyway, he's had one at yeah. that level. And so, you know, I mean, Tony, I, I, I think that golf seems to be in good hands in terms of the dynamic young players. Now, will they be split? And the answer seems to be yes. Will, they, will their presence be split? So this, so this is a question to ask you. I don't know my own answer to this. The Saudi tour, for the first time, will be in the United States of America this week. It will be in Oregon, which means if you are on the East Coast, you can sit back and watch this thing in the evening. You, you can do that. You can plan your day around it. I know that it's on the YouTube channel, which I don't care about. And so it's a hypothetical thing, Mike. Having come out of the experience of the U.S. Open, which was a great tournament, a tournament as we understand it, not a shotgun start, right. you know, not four rounds of tournament where you earn your way up to the top and then you, you, your first tee time is two in the afternoon because you're the leader. And the, the Saudi tour is different. If it were on television, regular television, would you watch it? I'm, I don't know if I would. I think I would, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you're still talking about, look, some of the people who have gone are famous people who have won major championships. Yes. You know, I'm gonna, am, I, am I going to turn up? Am I not going to watch DJ and Ustaz? I know I'm watching Phil. I, I think I'm I'm watching them. I'd watch Phil. Yeah. I'd I, watch would. I would not just watch Phil. I, I never have watched just Phil. For the last 25 years, I haven't watched just Phil. No, but what I'm saying is Phil would get me to the TV. Others would give me to the TV. They're mm. major okay. champions. Yeah, Schwartzel, Oosthuizen. Schwartzel, so not, I not, not watch, do I watch them now? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I why wouldn't I watch them next week playing Oregon? I mean, I'd watch them, and I'd watch them playing Europe. I, you know, look, I, I, watch, I don't watch quite as much golf as you do, Tone, just because I've got that patch of period that I just finished which I've got NBA, and I just yep. I can't physically do it. But I watch, I watch the LPGA more than 95% of the people. I have gotten lately to know quite a few women on tour. And I, I, watch, your, I watch the European tour. I don't watch the, the champions as much as seniors. I don't. That, that I don't holds no allure for me. I watch Europe, and no. I watch the LPGA. So mm. why wouldn't I watch these guys? Of course I would. All right, let's move on. We both thought the Tampa Bay would win last night. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think they'd win six to two. And I was watching that game, and Colorado got the first goal, and I thought, yeah. "Whoa!" Now I still thought Tampa Bay would win. Tampa Bay did win, and they won very, very comfortably. And everybody says they're back in the series. 
I believe they have to win game four. That's what I believe. What do you believe, Mike? I believe they have to and probably will. Uh, you know, I mean, they, 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 they are, we don't, nobody knows them because of where they play. Right. And in markets like that in the NHL, you've got to be around for a while and you've got to have some stars. So we, we got used to Edmonton, even though they're playing in Edmonton. No one's been to Edmonton. Americans can't. They couldn't pick out Edmonton on a map of Canada nope. to save their children's lives. That's right. Okay? I've been to Edmonton. I've seen, I saw them play in Edmonton. And you, you gotta, they got to be around for a while. And so if, if, if Tampa pulls this off, and, and the NHL does things to, to just cannibalize their champions. I mean, the Blackhawks were so good. Their three-cup run, not consecutively. It was so good. And they drafted so well. The Blackhawks could have won six or seven. If, if the NHL had rules that allowed people to stay together, they'd have won six or seven times. They, had this, they, had a cup fight. they were in the conference titles at least two, two other times. And they had to sell off people like Panarin. They had to get rid of great players while they were adding them to Patrick Kane. They, you know, they, and so... I don't know if Tampa can stay together through that. So we may not get to know them. And Steven Stamkos, he's not so charismatic and so dynamic or controversial or whatever it is that we have a sense necessarily of who he is unless you follow That's the right. NHL. That's right. But, Tony, they are so good and so tough and so arrogant that they there's a charisma about them that I'm only aware of. Because I... You know, I the last I went crazy watching the NHL closely for about six years. Let's say from two thousand nine when the Blackhawks got really good, fifteen when they won their last title, and so you watch and you get familiar with other teams. It was like wow, and then I, I did, the Blackhawks fell apart, and I don't I don't watch that closely anymore. So I only see Tampa, you know, sparingly, but they're just they are badass team. They just are. You know, and their coach, John Cooper, they just, they just have it. And so I talk about rooting against them. They're so good you can root against them like you root against the Yankees or the Patriots or, you know, some other great entity, Federer or Tiger, because they're great. The sport needs them, and the sport needed them to win last night, and boy, did they. You think, I, I'm, I'm not certain of this, you think they will win this series. They'll win four out of five, if not four in a row, and win the series, right? You think they'll win. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 you know, last night was a, was a must game. Yep. yep. Yeah, I still think they, 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 they're mentally tough enough, Tom. Yeah. They got beat 7 nothing. Came right back. Last night was thinking. And they were down one nothing. They were down one nothing, but part of me was thinking, you know what? Seven nothing was the wrong way. Not that you want to, con- you can't control how you win. You wouldn't try. Seven nothing was the wrong game to have against that team, right? I understand that. Coming at you. I understand you that. You got their attention. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Now, now, the, the saving grace for Colorado, if Tampa Bay beats them in Game Four, is they go back to a gym where they did win seven nothing. So they will certainly be confident. But it would, it would surprise me less 
if Tampa Bay won four in a row than if Colorado were to win four in a row. That would surprise me less. I don't think Colorado could win four in a row. And yeah, I don't, I don't so. know that they can. But I think Tampa Bay can win four in yeah, a row. Yeah, I don't think they will in this case. Apparently, Colorado's good luck. There are people who said at the beginning of the playoffs, Colorado, Barry Melrose was one of them. Colorado's coming out of the West. Coming out. They're that good. Oh, he had them both. Melrose had them both. He had Tampa yeah. Bay. He had the finalists. He had them both, which and is better so, than we had. Game four, this is a, <laughs> this is a great series. Um, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, but I think I got to clear the decks. Yeah, to watch. To watch Game Four, and it, you know, out here it's so early. The game's only five. And where you not, are, where you are, it's on at five. Am, yes, where I, I am, it's on at eight. It's <laughs> yeah, not so well, early. Five o'clock here, where I <laughs> yeah. am. Eight I understand. Me. I understand. So I gotta, I gotta be in front of the TV with a you know post lunch sandwich. Yeah, a little early for me. All right. All right, I'll talk to you later in the day. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Uh, We will take a break. Chris Saliza will join us when we return. I'm going to ask him to explain the world as it exists right now. We'll see if he can do that. I'm Tony Kornheiser. (laughs) Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Brandon Costello. Oh, no, this is Dan. Oh, this is Dan? This is Dan Byrne. Oh, I'm sorry. Dan Byrne. Yes. had just played his round in 13 under par. The third had won his parlay. He strolled out of the bar. Said, shh, Grandpa needs to get his nap in. Bootsy, the hammer, and the cat. Oh, my God. This is great. Well, you might see them ambling down Main Street like they own the place Or you might see them beating Brook Forties kids in a swimming race Or maybe they'll bust out of county jail And you've gotta give chase Meanwhile, Grandpa's claiming that he tapped in Bootsy, the hammer, and the captain This is tremendous Bootsy, the hammer, and the captain That's tremendous. And Dan the, Byrne, that is tremendous. He the, wrote it overnight. It's, the greatest thing is he sent another version called, called another version rather, called Bootsy, ha- the Hammer, and the Thin Man. Right. And then stopped listening and like, because he stopped listening to write it, then came back to the show and he goes, oh, oh now it's the captain. I guess I have captain. to write this it's version. Willis Reed. Yes. I wish that Bootsy liked the name Bootsy. Well, I'll go uh, into it. I hope so. I don't know. It just gives me that look. And, uh, I don't know. That's great by Dan Byrne. Love it. If people, well, there's nobody like Dan Byrne, but if people want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Please do so. Uh, send it to us at jingles at com. Wonderful. Chris Saliza joins us now. And the first, you know, I wanted to talk to Chris about a lot of things. Thankfully, the Nats didn't play last night and lose last night, so I don't have to talk about that. And I think we've settled the license plate issue. But I watch the news and I read the paper and I increasingly I read online, which I never wanted to do, but I do because the accessibility is much greater than the actual newspaper. Um, 
And I, I don't know where we are. I mean, I read stories that indicate that we are, as a people, actually really torn apart. Really torn apart. And I'm wondering, the January 6th hearings to you, they don't seem to be making things better. They may elucidate people's behavior, but they're not actually making things better, are they? No. Um, and I think the people who probably would benefit most from the information being relayed in those January 6th hearings are the deniers. No yeah, they have den- no interest in watching. <laughs> right. right. That's right. Um, I, I think it is a confirmation bias. Thing. Unfortunately, I think that, you know, the people the people who are avidly consuming the January 6th hearings, particularly the ones that are not in, there's been one in prime time, two, not in, two during the day, and there's a third one today that's during the day at one o'clock. You know, I think um, you have to go out of your way to watch the ones during the day, certainly. You know, you have to, either yeah. if you're at work, you have to find time, you know, and I think that that's just not... For, for a lot of people, that's not a priority. Do I think people should watch? Yes. Uh, I think, I think that, I, what the fact that the viewership is what it is, is not reflective or indicative of the importance and the effectiveness, I think, of sort of what the January 6th committee is doing. But I don't think it's changing a bunch of minds. No, um, I think I, it's I, hardening I, people's positions. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah so, uh, so I was playing golf the other day. I'm playing sure. golf with a doctor, a guy probably in his 50s. We'd say a fellow doctor, a fel- a right? Fellow, a fellow doctor. Well, he's a medical like, doctor. Doctor like yourself. Yeah, no, he's an actual <laughs> medical doctor. And we oh. were playing and we were chatting. And he said, my wife and I used to be Republicans. I said, we're not. We can't. We can't find the party. We can't find the party. And, and by the way, people can say that on the other side, too. You say, my wife and I used to be Democrats, but it's moved so far to one side that we can't find it anymore. Your business is politics, Chris. Do you, do you hear this? And, and is there any thought you might ever have? That there would that some sort of centrist political party would suddenly evolve, you know, where where people are a little bit more reasonable than they are on the on the side. And I would say the extremes, but now I'll just say the sides because so many people are extreme. Now let me take the second part of that question first and answer it easily and simply. No, uh, I, I there everything you laid out about the middle. Um, makes total and perfect sense. The, it's been true for a while. It's even more true, you know, since Trump became president and the aftermath of Trump that the parties are now moving to their polls even more. Yeah. But the creation of a third party, a centrist party, it's been sort of experimented and tried before, and it just never really works. Uh, the two major parties in this country are extremely entrenched, whether that's just on the ballot. They're on the ballot in every state. It's a pain in the butt to get on the ballot in every state, uh, honestly, and hugely cost-prohibitive. Um, and people are sort of acclimated to voting for one or the other party. I think a lot of people will say, like, oh, I'd love a third party. But then when yeah. you get down to it, if that third party doesn't look like it can win, 
people don't like throwing away their votes. But just I want to make one more point on the two parties moving to the polls. It is true that both parties have become Republicans more, I guess conservative is the word, although Trump is not, I, I Trump is not really a conservative. He's just sort of Trump. He's sort of sui generis. Mm. Yeah. They've moved more to the right. Uh, Democrats have moved more to the left. But what is also true is Republicans have moved further to the right than Democrats have moved to the left. Like, there's been lots of studies on this. It's called asymmetric polarization. Republicans in the last 15 years have gotten radically more conservative. Democrats have gotten more liberal, but not radically so. Regardless, it leaves a lot of people in the center uh, feeling like they don't have a political home. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That yep. that you know that where you'd say if it, in other words if somebody said how would you describe your politics? I would say mine are reasonable. I mean everybody thinks their politics are reasonable, but I think mine are right. reasonable and they're sort of in this big hammock thing in the middle that nobody's in. Nobody's yeah. in. I mean if you ask me like let's take a Republican who would be attractive to me. Um, Mitt Romney. I mean, he was the governor of Massachusetts as a Republican, which doesn't happen all that often. Seems reasonable person to me. A Democrat who might be attractive to me. I'm, I, I don't. I mean, there's a million guys in the Senate that I would think, you know, they're okay. These people are okay. And you're saying that if they got together, th mm -hmm. th there would be no traction for them. Like the. F who, who's I mean, who's look, somebody I'm thinking of? There's got to be somebody, the, some governor. Yeah, like, like a Chris Murphy from Connecticut, yeah, I yeah, think, is a good example. Yeah. He seems like a reasonable yeah. guy. He's leading the guns, you know, the guns debate. You know, uh, he's probably a little more to the left of center than what you're talking about. But still, like, you know, like you said, if, if, the, if the lead trait is reasonableness, right, as opposed to partisanship, then, that, then I think that would make sense. Um Past isn't always prologue, right? If past was prologue, Donald Trump would have never been the Republican nominee because every rule yeah, he broke in politics, up. he broke. You know yep. what I mean? Like, like There were so many things, starting from the beginning of his campaign, I always remind people of this. You know, at the very start of his campaign, he said he liked his war heroes not captured, running, yeah. running down. John down McCain, yeah. Now, that, that would have been <laughs> the end politically for... Lots and lots of people. Uh, it, for him, it was a blip on the radar. So, you know, past isn't always prologue, but there just hasn't, it hasn't been shown, at least that I know of, that there, while there is a robust, that there is a robust enough center that someone like Mitt Romney could run as, you know, call it the reasonable party, right? Yeah. Just start yeah. a party and run as the reasonable party, that, that there's enough votes there. That at the end of the day, when people go into the ballot box, they choose D or R. Um, that they, they like to think of themselves as a centrist. They like to think of themselves as independent, but they wind up usually pulling the lever for, or touching the touchscreen, however you vote these days, for one side or the other pretty predictably. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at um, a lot of Donald Trump's endorsed candidates won in primaries. Mm -hmm. Not all, not all, but a lot won. And then I read this story yesterday about Republicans in Texas and the agenda oh, yeah. they have in Texas. And it is like you, you, you read this, Chris, and you go, how is this possible? Texas is an enormous state. It's yep. got to be one of the six or seven biggest states in terms of population. Sure. How can a party take these, these positions that are so 
I'm sorry, anti-human. They really it's are. Remarkable. How yeah, can they remarkable. do that? Um, the people who attend a Republican or Democratic, but in this case a Republican convention, are the hard hardcore of the hardcore, right? I mean, these, these, I are, guess. these, are, act, these are activists. These are people who, um, you know, are really engaged on a day-to-day basis with the comings and goings of the party. Even with that said, I was struck by what the Texas Republican Party passed. Where, you know, they passed a thing that said Joe, Joe Biden was not legally uh, the president of the United States. <laughs> what are you talking about? Homosexuality is an is a abnormal um, they booed John Cornyn, a very conservative Texas senator. They screamed eye patch McCain at Dan Crenshaw, a member of Congress who lost his eye in Afghanistan. Fighting for this country. Yes. For this country. Yes. Uh, wow. Stunning stuff. Uh, I do. I, I, somebody sent me this, and I, I think I think of it often is I, I really do think that the, the best way to understand where the Republican Party and the Republican Party leadership and the Republican Party bases is that they've sort of created Frankenstein's monster, right? They've, 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 they've created something that they no longer are able to regularly and consistently control. Um, the person who can control them the most is Donald Trump, but even he, when he urged people to get vaccines, they booed him, you know? And, 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 it is taken on a life of its own that they are no longer under control of. And it produces things like you saw in Texas over the weekend. I got more. And I, I want to be very cautionary here. As I believe the same thing is happening in the Democratic Party on the left. I believe extremism is has taken over the Democratic Party. I'm concentrating on the Republicans just because I saw it. I read this story. There's a guy running for the Senate in Missouri who at one point... Yeah. Greitens, I believe. Am I pronouncing that right? Yep, Greitens? Yep. But at one right. point yep. was elected governor of Missouri recently. Yes, he was. And left, and left because of the acknowledgement of an extramarital affair. You know, now he's back running for the Senate, purged. He's good. You know, he's done his time. He's really good. And it seemed to me, and if people don't know this term rhino, which is Republican in name only, it seemed to me he actually is calling for people to shoot them. Yeah. I, I don't think he's kidding. Like, I, I can't be sure he's kidding. How did we get to that guy? Right. So he, he ran an ad or posted an ad yesterday where he says, we're going rhino hunting and he's got a long gun and he's walking down what looks like a suburban street. And a then street. It, cuts to, it cuts to him and what looks to be a, a sort of military tactical unit waiting outside a house. They smash the door down. Uh, they go in, they throw a smoke grenade, and then he walks in through the smoke and says, you know, uh, we're hunting rhinos, no bagging fees, no tagging fees, and it doesn't end until we take our country back. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that, that, that's essentially it. This guy's um, running for the Senate, and he has been elected governor, so he is not an unpopular person in Missouri. I would say, I would say not just running for the Senate, but at least at the moment, leading in the polls in the Republican uh, Senate primary. And, and we're in such a weird slash bad spot. If that ad and the resultant controversy may actually help Eric Brighton's, uh, which is insane. But, but I think, look, I guarantee you within the next day or two, he'll start raising money off of the controversy saying, you know, Democrats in the media are trying to shut me up. They, their political correctness has gotten out of hand. Um, 
it seems to me we should be able as a society to say, this is bad. Like in, a, in an era <laughs> yeah. where there's, there's clear, there's clear, um, you know, every day there is some sort of violence committed by guns in which, you know, I, it's the definition of a mass shooting is always up for debate. You know, is it four or more people injured? Is it, but there, there is significant violence committed by guns every day in this country. And every once in a while we get a Uvalde, Texas or a Newtown or a Parkland to, to make it look at least like you are storming a private home of people who you who whose who's, who's crime quote unquote is not agreeing with you politically. Yeah. I mean, just just think of the implications of that one. Um, it is stunning to me that 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 he ran that. It is not at all stunning to me that it's probably going to work. Well, that's it is. Uh, you know, I don't think of Missouri um, as a far right state. Uh, in my experience, I don't so, think so of it that way. It has major metropolitan areas. Yep. You know, I don't think of it that yep. way. In, in 2000, it was a swing state. It was extremely close. I think George Bush won it very narrowly over Al Gore. In the last 20 years, it has moved hard to the right. Uh, the, the populations in St. Louis and Kansas City have sort of stayed static. The rest of the state has grown, uh, and the rest of the state is very Republican. Yeah. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and doing this, even though everyone will hate us for having, you know, know. brought the show down. I, but I appreciate well, it because I wanted to know these things. Hates, everyone hates me anyway, so that's, that's I don't natural <laughs> natural state. No, I mean because I I read this the other day and I said this is this can't be true. This can't be true. No. I find myself saying that uh, to myself uh, multiple times a day. Like, uh. wait, really? This is happening? Uh, all right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris Eliza, boys and girls, who we like very, very much. Absolutely. We'll take a break. We'll do email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got email, faxes, and you know. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Tony's on for all of you folks. That is Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. I love the name Slappy Boys. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love that. It makes me very happy. Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. Najee, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Uh, yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And I have a definition uh, well, uh, an origin of, of where hack comes from for come taxis. From? It was uh, it was short for hackney, which at one time this is from Middle English uh, hackney described at one time a horse of average size, which were the types of horses used to uh, pull carriages. So that's where those were the first cabs. Yeah, those long before motorized vehicles. Yes, those were the first cabs. Yes, so, so it's hack from hackney. Yes. Okay, that's good to know. Um, that's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say the man from the magazine said I was on my way somewhere. I lost connections, ran out of songs to play, came into town a one night stand. Looks like my plans fell through. Oh Lord. Stuck in Lodi again. That's uh, Creedence Clearwater revival. And that's once that song gets in your head, <laughs> it stays in your head forever. Lodi, I believe is a town in California. It I is. I believe yes. that's true. And now that we know about Creedence Clearwater Revival, as we learned yesterday. Yeah, the Gollywogs beat up the Squires. The Gollywogs at one point. <laughs> wow. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Chris Saliza. Thanks to today's sponsors, Progressive and Zip Recruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. So, 
This is from Reed, R-E-E-D, in Nashville. Reed Vega, or Vigo. I was thrilled to hear on Friday's podcast that Michael named his third child Reed. I am also a third child named Reed, but the real treat was hearing that his name was spelled correctly. (laughs) My disdain for those ignominious (laughs) punks like Reed Weingarten, R-E-I-D, has only grown with my own ego over the course of my life. Now, I... You don't have control over how you spell your name if your parents name you. You can change it down the road. Yeah. I've seen R-E-E-D and R-E-I-D, and Reed Weingarten I wouldn't describe as an ignominious <laughs> punk. That, that's just me. Undoubtedly, young Reed Kornheiser will endure many jokes throughout his childhood. I've been called Weed, Reedy, and Riri more times than I care to recall. Despite being an avid reader, I was often asked, do you read, Reed? Not that these chirps have been detrimental to my personal and professional development, as I'm sure you will agree. A little bit of a chip on the shoulder and a smoldering hatred for your enemies does a person quite a bit of good throughout their lives. Anyway, does this count as a David Aldrich moment? Yes, certainly. (laughs) Um, Sheila Josephsburg, in the last month, your grandson is the third Reed I've heard about. Two friends now have children, grandchildren named Reed, R-E-I-D, slash Reed, R-E-E-D. I had never heard this one, and now three. So far, Michael's boys have very cool nicknames, and the captain really works. Love listening to your podcast, and we never miss PTI. Mazel tov on the new addition to the Kornheiser family. Sheila Josephsburg, husband Bob, Hewlett High School, 1963. Me, Lawrence High School, 1964. We had a better football team. Bob hates when I point that out. You had a bigger school. We were South Shore 3, Sheila. You were South Shore 1, and you had Inwood. Kids were tough. They were in Queens. Come on now. I, I know the drill. But there was a year when Hewlett was undefeated. I believe 1963, actually, Hewlett was undefeated. Really? From Kirk in Omaha. Reed Rawlings. Call him the glove. Yeah, you know, the glove's not bad. It's the captain, the but captain, the glove though. is not bad. Yeah. Shad, a haiku. Family matters. Bootsy, hammer, the captain. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, this is from Tim Robertson. This is long, but it's sort of cool. Now I'm going to read it. I'm writing to you about my dear mom. Joan Robertson will turn 100 years of age on August 9th, and we're trying to find new and unexpected ways to celebrate our great moment. My mom was born in jolly old England, London to be exact, in 1922, and throughout her life she had a propensity for finding herself in notable locations and events. She had the ability to drop an unexpected bomb or two all throughout her life about events she had experienced. Everything from commenting while watching an old movie that Larry really was an unlikable human. As I listened to this, I was mightily confused when we were watching a Lawrence Olivier. Larry? (laughs) Yes, he used to come into her boutique in London. This sort of thing continued through life as she shared an elevator in Montreal with with Phil Esposito, a rude man. (laughs) And later, several players from the Chicago Bears. We think she hated football. And other notables that we continued to shake our heads at wondering how could anyone be that fortunate and not care. She took in the first London Olympics after the war and still has the program from it. And she shared a train ride with Christopher Lee. But perhaps the most notable part of her life, that she has been able to live and share with her children and grandchildren are her many experiences serving her country of Britain in World War II. And yes, as a woman, she served. It was not in a factory, it was not driving trucks, it was in an anti-aircraft battery actually trying to shoot down German fighters and bombers that were in return intent on stopping her and her compatriots. It may sound a little strange, but she considers this time period the greatest time of her life, as she was part of something that everyone in her country was committed to. Again, the stories are both humorous and sad, but to our grandkids, otherworldly, as they have nothing in their lives to compare it to. Joan, one of the great ones. Hmm? Probably the most notable of these stories 
is the getting arrested in Scotland briefly while being caught on a U.S. submarine at dock. Her comment, well, D, you just can't ignore when someone offers you to show you his submarine. So as an obviously proud son, I ask that you make my mother, the official Tony Kornheiser centenarian. I know you think you're old, but come on, come on. From your friendly Nova Scotian and his trusty dog, Murphy, Tim Robertson. Isn't that... That was wild. She, she was on the, yeah. on the guns. Shooting down Luftwaffe. She was on yeah. the guns. Good for you, Joan. One other thing here. This is from Ray Sanders, who sends along a fabulous picture. I know a photo is not much use on a non-visual podcast, so there's no reason to read this email on the air. But I thought you would enjoy the photo. I will also send a video clip separately if the email gods cooperate. Maybe Michael could help. In my retirement, I spent, split my time between North Beach, Maryland and Nantucket, Massachusetts, where the woman to whom I'm related by marriage has a home. Last night, we went to a local self-proclaimed dive bar, the Chicken Box. Have you ever heard of that? The Chicken Box? I, You're from there. I've, I've been up the that way, but I, I don't And enjoyed that one, no. the rock bottom remainders, featuring, among others, Dave Barry and Mitch Album. Dave on guitar and vocals and Mitch on keyboards and vocals. The show was part of the Nantucket Book Festival. And Mitch is actually wearing a shirt, a T-shirt, that has on it, there once was a man from Nantucket. <laughs> now, that's funny. That's funny. Part of the Nantucket Book Festival, and it was a lot of fun. We were up front and danced the night away. Well, at least a couple of hours. They even played Gloria, a song of which Barry once said, if you drop a guitar on the floor, we'll play Gloria. Our paths, yours and mine, crossed at one point as I was a photo editor at the Washington Post for 23 years. I'm sure you don't know who I am since you never asked me to fix something. But we know lots of the same people. Keep the podcast coming, Ray Saunders. And I have a vague recollection of Ray Saunders as a blonde-haired man, but okay. I'm not sure that that's true. It's a great photo, isn't it? He sent this picture, and the picture is fabulous. And I think that's Amy Tan in it as well. And I'm very grateful for that. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good. Uh, but Not there the was worst. some worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We yeah. weren't the worst team in the league. <laughs> Have you had enough? 
Shotgun and he rolled out of the car The second had just played his round in 13 under par The third had won his parlay He strolled out of the bar Said, shh, Grandpa needs to get his nap in Bootsy, the hammer, and the captain Well, you might see them ambling down Main Street like they own the place Or you might see them beating Brooke Forties kids in a swimming race Or maybe they'll bust out of county jail And you've gotta give chase Meanwhile, Grandpa's claiming that he tapped in Bootsy, the hammer, and the captain Bootsy, the hammer, and the captain captain. 